All right, so uh, welcome everyone and uh, glad that uh, we're all here together and have opportunity to uh, open up God's Word together. And in this class on Wednesday nights, we'll primarily be uh, working through the book of Genesis. Uh, that'll be our primary area of study, but we'll also have some uh, occasional biblical worldview topics and we'll also take some uh, excursies, uh, bunny trails, as Eric calls them. I call them that, too, uh, along, along the way uh, that hopefully will uh, enrich our study, but that also helps keep me a little uh, fresh. Uh, sometimes uh, it's good to, to go elsewhere in God's Word. You know, uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and, uh, and helps so that we don't become too myopic or nearsighted, uh, focusing on just, just one area. And tonight, we'll be doing something just a little bit different. Uh, so uh, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 1. And since we're going to be going into the Old Testament and working through Genesis, I just want to stress the importance of studying uh, God's Word, uh, studying uh, Genesis uh, in its original context, and really working to understand uh, what the original author uh, intended. Uh, God spoke through the prophet Moses, uh, and he spoke in a concrete uh, place uh, in time to an audience. Uh, and so we have to keep the context in view uh, if we're going to properly uh, understand it uh, as it was originally written. And sometimes, sometimes that will... Uh, challenge our traditions. Uh, sometimes it'll uh, cause us hopefully to refine them and bring them uh, closer to God's word. Uh, and I just want to give you uh, one uh, illustration of that tonight. And we, we could look at uh, many, uh, many places. Uh, really, we, we could just work through the, the gospel of Matthew. But there's a grand... Uh, promise, uh, fulfillment uh, in the beginning of, of Matthew uh, that uh, we've all heard uh, many, many times uh, before. And so I, I just want to look at the birth of Christ and the, uh, the promise of uh, Emmanuel or Emmanuel, a God uh, with us. And so let's read uh, verses 18 through uh, around 23. Uh, it's 25. We'll, we'll see where we stop. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, Christ anointed, uh, Jesus the anointed, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betro been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Immanuel, which means 
God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here we have this great prophecy alluding back to Isaiah 7, where we'll be spending some time. Uh, and in this prophecy, it speaks of Immanuel, uh, God with us, uh, Imanu, uh, with us, El, God, short for Elohim. Uh, and this, this uh, grand promise that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And as we uh, read along, uh, we, might, we might, this is very familiar, and we might just think and read this, well, uh, and, and maybe even look at the verse references in the, the footnote. Uh, verse 23, and look, look down there, and we might see that it's referring to Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 7. Uh, it directs us there, and, and we might go read it, you know, maybe, maybe not. But we, we might just assume that, well, you know, the, this promise just must be all about Jesus and have nothing to do with anyone else whatsoever. It's just as simple as that, you know, just a simple one-to-one -one simple uh, prophecy, uh, and that's all there is to it. But, uh, as we'll see, uh, Matthew understood uh, Isaiah very, very well, uh, very thoroughly, and he expected his audience uh, to know Isaiah very, very well. Uh, usually the biblical authors, uh, like any author, uh, they provide some information, but before that, they, they assume or take for granted a, a relevant context that they share with their audience. A linguistic context, a biblical context, uh, a context uh, in the culture that, that they shared. Uh, and then they provide enough information that their audience will grasp and know what they're saying. And so Matthew takes for granted that his audience knows Isaiah. In fact, most of the biblical authors, uh, they didn't write comprehensive exegetical commentaries uh, on the Old Testament. Uh, otherwise, we'd need commentaries on the commentaries and commentaries on the commentaries. Uh, the, the closest you get is maybe the author of Hebrews at some point where he'll you, really work through like a couple of verses and Paul will do that uh, sometimes. But they assume that we know these things. This is the relevant background that we need to, to fully grasp. It's not that we don't grasp it at all, but to fully grasp what Matthew is saying here. And I think uh, that we'll see that uh, the promise is even uh, more grand and more amazing, yeah, more complex uh, than, uh, than maybe, uh, maybe we've known before, uh, according to, to our, our traditions as we've, we've read these things. So uh, let's flip to uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be working through uh, uh, the, the beginning of chapter 9, so we're going to cover a lot of territory. And we'll uh, really take a, take a look at this promise. And we're not going to dig up every detail. We're not going to have time to. But to, to get the, the big, big picture and see how these things uh, unfold uh, in I, Isaiah's day, but then uh, beyond. And now here in Isaiah, uh, the first uh, section of, uh, of Isaiah, a big section, uh, chapter uh, 1 through uh, 35, uh, really deals with the Assyrian context and the Assyrian threat uh, that was uh, going on. A lot of scholars have described that, Her Herbert Wolf and uh, many, many others uh, 
Ellen, I, I believe Harmon. Uh, but chapters 1 through 35 is really dealing with the Assyrian threat that Israel was facing uh, in uh, the, uh, the 8th century BC, uh, the, the 700s, uh, as the uh, Assyrian Empire was uh, becoming resurgent uh, in that time. Uh, and then uh, there's, uh, there's a conclusion and sort of a historical interlude in Isaiah 36 uh, through 39, four chapters, uh, that brings uh, to a conclusion uh, this whole section. Uh, and in those first two chapters, 36 and 37, uh, it goes to uh, Sennacherib uh, assaulting the surrounding region, uh, massacring cities, towns, until only Jerusalem is left. Uh, and Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, uh, alone is left. Uh, and there, uh, he trusts in God, and God delivers him uh, from uh, this, uh, this threat. It's all about uh, we need to trust God as, uh, as king, uh, even in uh, the last and final hour under this very dire situation. Uh, and then in the next two chapters of the historical interlude, uh, God uh, saves Hezekiah uh, from, from uh, death. He was on his deathbed, uh, extends his life. Uh, and this probably takes place even, uh, as I recall, before the Assyrian threat. Uh, and then the king of Babylon comes. Uh, I think it's uh, Merodach uh, of Babylon. And Hezekiah brings him in, uh, opens his storehouses in the temple, in the palace, uh, shows him all of his treasures uh, in a moment of pride uh, and boasting and trying to impress uh, this, uh, this king. Uh, during the, uh, the the time of the Assyrians. Uh, and Isaiah uh, lets him know, where we, we see, yes, Hezekiah, as far as sinners go, he was a good and righteous king, and he trusted God. He was a believer, uh, like David, uh, and, and probably Solomon, uh, if he is restored at the end of his life. But uh, but Hezekiah faltered. Uh, his, his faith was imperfect. Uh, he was not a perfect king. Uh, and then Isaiah informs him, that all those treasures uh, you showed the king of Babylon and your sons and daughters and people, they're going to be taken into exile. Uh, it may be partially by the Assyrians, but ultimately the Babylonian captivity. And then chapters 40 through 66 deal with the Babylonian context. Looking at this coming captivity, a warning for the people in Isaiah's own day uh, to trust in God and for the later captives uh, to trust in God that he will restore them uh, if they look, uh, look to him. But for those who do not, uh, Isaiah repeats in uh, chapter 48 at the very end, there is no peace, says Yahweh, for the wicked. In chapter 57, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And then at the very end of chapter uh, 66, each of these giving a greater and greater promise of salvation and comfort to those who, uh, sinners who repent, trust in him. Uh, at the end, he goes and talks about uh, their worm will never die. Uh, the people will go out and look upon them and they will be a detestation and abomination to all flesh. Uh, they, they'll, they'll basically everlasting torment and burning. Uh, and so uh, that's the Babylonian context at the end. Uh, but we're looking at the, the Assyrian context and, and threat that they're facing. 
And so here uh, in uh, chapter 7, for some reason my program wasn't behaving, so I'll just pull this up. Here in uh, chapter 7, it's just following Isaiah's commission, uh, where God uh, has commissioned him to basically go and speak uh, to this people. Uh, and that when he speaks to them, uh, proclaim, you know, uh, well, just look at uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 9. Here's Isaiah's commission. Uh, he, and he said, go and say to this people, uh, Yahweh speaking Isaiah, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And so Isaiah's mission uh, is basically to proclaim the truth, proclaim the word of God, but it's only going to harden this sinful and rebellious uh, nation and people until judgment uh, comes uh, upon them. Uh, and so, uh, verse 11, then I said, how long, O Lord? How long? How long do I have to do this? Does this have to go on? Will these people not be believing uh, the, the message that I proclaim? And he said, until cities lie in waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord, Yahweh, removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. That's incredible devastation and judgment that's going to come upon them. And though a tenth remain in it, a remnant, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Out of that, the remnant will arise, and we'll see also uh, the, uh, the righteous king will, will arise. Out of this judgment, God is going to bring salvation to his people, uh, to a remnant uh, that he's going to uh, redeem. And so now in Isaiah 7, uh, we're going to see that uh, Ahaz, uh, there's going to be a threat from, uh, from Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, and from uh, Aram, Syria. Uh, and here, uh, he's going to establish the setting, uh, and then uh, Yahweh is going to send Isaiah uh, to uh, proclaim a word of exhortation to Ahaz, to encourage him not to fear man, but to fear and trust uh, his God. Uh, and he's also uh, going to uh, exhort him uh, in, in command uh, to, to, to uh, declare a sign, uh, to, to give, give him a sign, you know, make as high as heaven or as low as Sheol, uh, to, uh, both to encourage him, to motivate him, uh, to also express his faith uh, in, in God. Uh, and then following that, after Ahaz's response, uh, rejecting the sign, we're going to see uh, God's going to give him a sign anyway, and the prophet's going to, uh, to rebuke him. Uh, and so in this chapter, we'll be looking at the, with, uh, with Ahaz uh, in this sign that's going to be introduced. And then uh, in the ne next chapter, chapter 8, the sign's going to start unfolding uh, in Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah's day 
uh, and into uh, the future as, as we keep, uh, keep working. So uh, let's just begin with the first couple of verses where uh, we'll see the setting established. All right. So uh, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it. And so uh, this takes place during Isaiah's uh, ministry uh, in the days of Ahaz, uh, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Uh, and Isaiah's ministry uh, really began around uh, 735 uh, BC, uh, and especially with Ahaz when uh, he was co-regent with his father Jotham, but he became the uh, the superior uh, and basically the uh, the head of of the nation uh, as uh, as king, and so we see here uh, the king of Judah, and that's important because it's in the Davidic uh, Davidic line uh, that God uh, God promised to spare a lamp uh, for them, uh, and then we also see uh, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, uh, and uh, Rezin. Uh, it says king of Syria in the ESV. It's really Aram or Aram, uh, which that's what it's called in ancient times. Syria is a later name. Uh, and it was just northeast of, uh, of Israel. And its capital was uh, Damascus, uh, as it is for uh, Syria today. Uh, and uh, around this time in the, the preceding decades, uh, Rezin uh, and, uh, and Aram, Syria, uh, was really having a time of uh, resurgence of their own. Uh, and of these, these nations within this area, uh, Israel, the, the northern tribe, Judah, uh, the, the southern, uh, uh, southern tribe, uh, and to, to the north, I mean really the, uh, the, the tribes besides maybe Simeon, uh, which was mixed in Judah, and sometimes Benjamin uh, also uh, was under uh, Judean rule. Uh, but... Uh, during this time, around all of these nations, Moab, Edom, uh, Ammon, the Philistines, uh, Aram was really becoming uh, kind of the dominant power uh, within, uh, within the region around Israel, uh, sometimes called the, the Levant, the, the land bridge between Mesopotamia to the north and Egypt uh, to the south. Uh, but also at the same time, Assyria was becoming uh, dominant as an empire uh, to the north in, in Mesopotamia. And so uh, under this threat, uh, we see that Rezin uh, in Pekah, uh, the king of, uh, king of Israel, uh, they joined forces uh, probably uh, to pressure Judah into joining their coalition uh, against uh, the Assyrian threat. Uh, and since uh, Judah wouldn't cooperate, they tried to attack them uh, from the north uh, and come down and make an assault on Jerusalem, on the, uh, the, the capital. Uh, and even following this time, uh, and so this is a very threatening time for Ahaz and for the king, uh, just after this time, around 735 into 734 uh, BC, uh, after this attack failed, uh, which we'll see right here, uh, Aram supported uh, the Edomites, uh, going to the south, uh, to Eloth, uh, just off of the, the sea, there was a harbor that Judah had. 
uh, and they took it uh, from the south. So they're being attacked from the north, from the south. The Philistines uh, made incursions uh, from the, the west along the Mediterranean Sea uh, to the east into the foothills of uh, the hill country of Judea. And so they're being hemmed in on all sides by these threats with the overhanging Assyrian threat. And then there's Egypt uh, to the south as well. And so this is a very uh, turbulent time, uh, really coming out of a time of prosperity with Jeroboam II in Israel and Uzziah. Uh, that was almost like you could compare it to where the, the extent to their control of land uh, actually challenged the time of Solomon uh, and their, their armies, their wealth. Uh, you could compare it uh, almost uh, to like uh, looking at the, the Reagan years and following that led to an unprecedented time of military power and might uh, and wealth and prosperity on many levels. Uh, certainly not the, the Messianic kingdom at all, uh, but uh, a time of power. And they, uh, the people, the people, however, uh, religiously, by and large, kept sacrificing on the high places uh, in Israel. Uh, there kept being a greater and greater decline in wickedness. Uh, and Ahaz uh, was w one of the, if not the most wicked king who had uh, lived until this time. Uh, Ahaz uh, erected, uh, he sacrificed on the high places. Uh, he set up altars uh, later after the Assyrians took out, wiped out Damascus. Uh, he went and saw the altar there. And since uh, the, uh, the Arameans were stronger than him, uh, he had uh, Uriah the priest build him an altar to sacrifice to it, and he removed Yahweh's altar, but just moved it to the north so well, he can inquire by it uh, through his, uh, whether seances or through mediums or uh, all, all of these things. And he even, uh, setting up false altars, Asherah poles, uh, the, the balls, uh, all of these false gods, he even ended up sacrificing his son to, uh, to Molech. Uh, and so, uh, instituting child sacrifice uh, in the land. Uh, and so this was a wicked king uh, indeed. Uh, and this is, this is at the beginning of his, uh, his senior power and headship uh, in, uh, in the land. And so uh, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack uh, against it. So they weren't, they weren't fully successful, uh, but the, the harassment uh, uh, on Judah kept increasing and other even people in wealth uh, taken. Uh, and so uh, when the house of David was, uh, was told, uh, or uh, it was uh, told to the house of David, house of David, uh, David, this is a David's uh, dynasty uh, there to, to rule on behalf of uh, God uh, over his, uh, his kingdom that he promised uh, he'd keep a lamp for them. In fact, uh, up until this point, after the, uh, the split following Solomon and the, the nation is split in two uh, with his son Rehoboam, uh, or Rehoboam uh, following that time, uh, Judah had 11 kings, and then 12 with Hezekiah, uh, Ahaz's son. Uh, Israel, uh, in one dynasty, Israel had 19 kings uh, up, up to uh, this point in their, uh, their uh, destruction. They'd only have one more after, uh, after Pekah. 
and so and uh, they had many, like maybe as many as nine different lines. Uh, some of them didn't even get to the second generation. Uh, some of the descendants uh, lived a month uh, after assassinations and six months. And, uh, and this is a time where they almost went through maybe four or five kings following uh, Jeroboam the, the second. And so a uh, time of re uh, incredible upheaval uh, within these, uh, these uh, nations. And so this, uh, uh, it was told to the house of David. Uh, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Uh, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before uh, the wind. Uh, and so uh, they're rather uh, terrified uh, by this thing. And it's, it's not just Ahaz. Uh, and uh, Actually, literally, uh, it says uh, in... Uh, Verse 2 uh, is told to the house of David uh, and uh, his heart. So the, the, the heart of like the house of David maybe even uh, could be Ahaz. It's a little ambiguous, but the two are so closely connected. And of his people, it's the people too. Uh, they're, they're afraid of these, uh, these kings. And so uh, Yahweh is going to have a message uh, through Isaiah, not to fear, not to fear man. They're not the ones that they should be afraid of. And so uh, we'll see uh, now uh, Yahweh uh, send, send Isaiah uh, with exhortation. Uh, verse 3, and Yahweh, uh, when it's all caps, it's, it's Yahweh. Uh, when it's uh, lowercase Lord, uh, it's uh, Adonai, uh, Master, Lord. Uh, but all caps Lord uh, means uh, Yahweh. Uh, and Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, uh, you and Shirjishab, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. And so, uh, go out uh, to meet Ahaz, uh, God commands, uh, you and Shirjashib, your son, or Sha'ar Yeshuv, uh, which means a remnant shall return. And um, we're going to see uh, Isaiah and his sons are uh, their signs and portents uh, for, uh, for the, the people. Uh, they're signs from God uh, that he's ascending. Uh, and Isaiah's uh, name uh, means uh, Yahweh is salvation. Uh, Yesha, uh, Yesha, Yahu. Yahu is short for Yahweh. Uh, ya Yesha, salvation, Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh is uh, salvation. And so Yahweh is salvation and a remnant shall return. Uh, and here, uh, because of the past uh, assaults and warfare, there are exile, uh, exiles or uh, people who've uh, been maybe taken to Israel who it might be encouragement that they might uh, return. Uh, but then, uh, even with, uh, with uh, the judgments that's coming and the warfare and fighting, uh, that uh, a remnant will return. There's a message of, uh, of salvation and hope in there, uh, in that Yahweh is salvation. Uh, he has to put his trust in him, uh, fear Yahweh, fear the Lord, and not a man. But we're also going to see that if you do not trust in Yahweh, then Yahweh is salvation it's going to become a message of judgment. 
uh, upon him. Uh, and a remnant shall return. Uh, we're going to see that later becomes a bad thing uh, when, uh, when Ahaz rejects, uh, rejects God. And so go out to meet Ahaz and you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there's some discussion about where this is. Uh, some would say, uh, probably coming from the, the Gishon Spring uh, to the east and a little more to the north of the city. And some would place it more along the, the north of the city, uh, perhaps because that's later where uh, the Assyrians will confront uh, Hezekiah, as Eric has uh, spoken about before, uh, at this same same place. And uh, that might be a good staging ground for the Assyrian army. Uh, otherwise, some argue that uh, from the Gishon Spring uh, that it ran down this conduit or channel uh, south into the west, uh, maybe to the southwest of uh, the, the city uh, as well. But uh, Ahaz is probably out here uh, checking out the water supply. Uh, Hezekiah's uh, tunnel uh, hasn't been uh, dug yet uh, that, that carried water uh, into the city. And so it's vulnerable. And so uh, he, he may be uh, checking it out, as, as many commentators say, uh, possibly looking to do what they can do to even secure it. But this is going to take on more significance as we get into chapter 8 as, as well, this, uh, this pool. And so uh, he goes out to meet Mayday, uh, who's uh, fearful and afraid with the people. And he commands Isaiah and say to him, uh, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint uh, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. So positively, uh, be careful or basically to, uh, to watch oneself. Uh, kind of when you're, you're out uh, maybe uh, doing a night's watch uh, or watching over the, the sheep or uh, to watch, uh, maybe like the, the garden, similar words are used uh, back in the, uh, the garden, uh, to watch, to keep it. And he has to watch, uh, watch himself uh, basically here. Uh, and be, be quiet. Uh, be silent. That's, that's a theme throughout the Psalms. Uh, it goes back even to the Exodus when God brings them uh, out of Egypt, telling them uh, they're afraid of the Egyptians coming out to destroy them. Be quiet. You know, be, be, be silent. God's going to work. Uh, he's going to redeem you. And he opens up the Nile, sends them through, and crushes the Pharaoh and the Egyptians in it. Wait for God and trust uh, in uh, him. That's what Ahaz uh, needs to do. And so positively, be careful, uh, be quiet. And negatively, do not fear. Uh, do, do not fear uh, these, these men. Uh, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Uh, they're basically the, the ends of like firewood or uh, kindling that, that you uh, burn. I mean, it's just nothing. A lot of times leaders are... Uh, likened to, uh, to, to great trees uh, because they're exalted and proud and lofty, uh, but they're, they're just two uh, smoldering stumps of fire, firebrands. They're, they're nobody, you know, for God. For God. And so uh, don't fear these guys. Uh, at the fierce anger of Rezin, uh, the, the king of uh, Aram, Syria, uh, in Syria, uh, the country, and the son of Remaliah, Pekah, the king of Israel. Uh, and uh, calling him a son of, son of Remaliah, 
uh, s some commentators uh, maybe say he's not even referring to him by his first name, and it, it might almost be kind of like, you know, this guy's a, a nobody. I mean, he, he's just a usurper who, who came in and uh, assassinated, like, the, the preceding king, and uh, he himself was uh, later uh, assassinated. And now uh, he gives the reason why he should trust and not fear. Uh, and and uh, uh, God's, God's response to, uh, to uh, uh, the Assyria uh, and uh, Israel. Uh, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go against Judah and terrify it, uh, maybe even tear it apart, and let us uh, conquer it, divide it to ourselves, uh, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, Yahweh God. Uh, because of this, because of their plans and plots to uh, seize the kingdom, tear it apart, uh, divide it to themselves, and put their own king, their own guy uh, over it, who will join their coalition against Assyria, thus says Yahweh God. Here's his response. It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. It's as clear as that. Shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. This isn't going to happen. Uh, and so that, that should be a clear confidence uh, for him. Uh, and the reason, for the head of Syria is Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria, the country. And the head of Damascus is Rezin. He's, he's the king over it. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. Uh, and Ephraim, it's another name for the northern kingdom, because Ephraim was the dominant tribe uh, in, in that, uh, that land. Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh uh, were of, of Joseph, uh, Joseph's sons, and Ephraim was dominant uh, in uh, the land. So he sometimes calls it, uh, calls it Ephraim. Uh, and so, uh, for the head of Syria is Damascus, the capital, and the head of uh, Damascus is Rezin, the king, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. They're not going to be a, be a threat. With the judgments that are going to come upon them from the Assyrians uh, in the next years, a few years, and then by 722, uh, they're going to be basically destroyed as, as a nation and with their king. Uh, and then there's discussion about uh, what the significance of 65 years is. Uh, and this may have to do with uh, they brought in uh, the foreign peoples, uh, Syria, uh, later. Uh, they brought in exiles and took their people away uh, into uh, the northern lands of Mesopotamia uh, by the uh, modern-day Iraq, uh, by the rivers Tigris and uh, uh, Euphrates. Uh, and that uh, over time, uh, in, uh, with also uh, other attacks and displacements uh, in the, uh, the uh, following uh, century, uh, the, the 600s, uh, perhaps around like six, 670 BC, uh, that basically, this became the Samaritan people, uh, a mixed uh, people uh, with the, the Israelites, the, the little remnant that was remaining, uh, and all the, the peoples that came from all the, the foreign countries. And so these people, God's going to shatter them, and so they're no uh, threat. Uh, and then uh, he uh, continues uh, in uh, verse 9. Uh, we see uh, parallelism. 
And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. Well, Samaria is the capital of this tribe in the northern, northern kingdom. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah, Pekah, the king. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So he has to be firm in faith. He has to trust God. Otherwise, he will not be firm. Uh, and so here's uh, encouragement, motivation, and, and even a warning to uh, trust, trust God. God is going to shatter uh, these ad, uh, adversaries of uh, the, the house of David. And so now this brings us, uh, now that he's exhorted him to trust and not fear, now uh, this brings us to uh, the sign that, that God is going to, to offer and to uh, even direct him to, to ask for a sign. Uh, and this is uh, really, uh, everything that follows is going to concern uh, the unfolding of this sign. And so, uh, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of, the, of Yahweh, your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ask a sign of Yahweh, your God. He's his God. This is personal for Ahaz. Uh, that's tremendous encouragement for, for him. Uh, Yahweh, I'm your God. He's sending through, through Isaiah. Ask, ask me a sign. You know, make it whatever you want. As, as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. Make it as big as you can, can possibly think of. I'll do it. And so what's your expectation from this? You know, God says, you know, ask, ask a sign. Make it, make it anything. He has, he's going to ask a sign, right? That's, that's, uh, that's what God's telling tell him to go, go ahead and do. And, you know, there, there are two things in this case uh, that you maybe wouldn't want to do. Uh, the first is to ask God to uh, make a rock that's bigger than he can lift. You know, that, that's probably just going to really irritate him. <laughs> you know, uh, I haven't heard that one before, but <laughs> atheists with really bad arguments. <laughs> do an absurdity, God. Uh, but... Uh, and the other, don't ask for a sign. You know, <laughs> those would be the two things you, you don't want to do. So you expect them uh, to, uh, to, to ask a sign. Uh, verse 12, uh, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put Yahweh to the test. Oh, okay, okay. God commands, ask for a sign. Now, there are some cases where you don't ask for a sign. When, when God has given his word and he's trustworthy, uh, he's, uh, his character, uh, his work uh, is clear that he is trustworthy. You don't ask for a sign. You trust God. You trust his word. But when he commands you to give a sign, then you, you go ahead and you ask. Here's an opportunity for Ahaz to show his faith and confidence in God and also for it to be an encouragement and motivation for him that God will fulfill what he said. Uh, he's going to shatter these people. Uh, they're uh, nobody's uh, from nowhere, and they're going no place fast. Uh, God's going to bring judgment upon them. Uh, but he has said, I will not ask, and I will not put Yahweh to the test. How pious. You know, it's, it's just false piety, false humility. It shows his, uh, his unbelief and really just his, his rejection uh, he doesn't want to sign, and his, his mind's made up. In fact, he went on to uh, send uh, to the Assyrians for help uh, from, uh, from these, uh, these people 
uh, and not uh, from God. And so, uh, now, uh, having uh, encouraged him uh, to, to trust and, and fear God uh, and, uh, and telling him to ask for a sign and him rejecting, uh, rejecting it, uh, now uh, we're going to see that uh, Isaiah, uh, the prophet, is going to rebuke him uh, and he's going to give him a sign anyway from God. And so, uh, verse 13, And he said, Hear then, O house of David. From, from David. You know, is this, is this how the house of David should be acting uh, in unbelief and rejecting God? Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Uh, his behavior, it, it wearies men. Uh, as uh, one commentator, but it wearies Isaiah out just having to deal with this. He's growing impatient with Ahaz uh, and his unbelief and folly. Is it, uh, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? God's growing impatient uh, with this uh, with this king, uh, with this house of, of David in rebellion uh, against him. Uh, now Isaiah says, not your God, my God. This is my God. Ahaz has rejected him. And so, here comes the sign. Uh, therefore, the Lord, small case, so Adonai, the, the Lord, uh, the, the sovereign Lord uh, over all things, over, over the nation. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And so, uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Uh, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, And really, uh, the word uh, Alma here, uh, Alma has to do uh, basically uh, with uh, a young woman who's uh, physically mature uh, in her prime uh, and generally is of uh, a marriageable uh, age. Uh, And so uh, it can have a range. And uh, if you have an Alma who's not married, uh, the expectation would be uh, that uh, she would be a virgin. Uh, in, in under the safety and protection of uh, her father's uh, father's house, uh, and so uh, th- that's uh, very very common. And the the, the central idea it, it's not just saying a uh, virgin uh, having to do with uh, with marriage or physical relations, but uh, in the, the 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 broader context, uh, a young uh, physically mature uh, woman uh, who would be of a marriageable, a marriageable age, uh, and uh, and if she she wasn't married, uh, sometimes uh, it seems uh, there, there aren't that many uses, but sometimes it uh, can uh, focus more in the range of maybe someone uh, who who is married, uh, but very very young. Uh, but in this uh, this case, uh, if she's not married, uh, she would be expected to uh, to be uh, be a virgin under her father's. Uh, protection, and so there's there's a tremendous overlap uh, with the word words uh, betula, uh, which uh, they often say is more centrally used for for virgin Hebrew, 
uh, and then uh, Parthenos in, uh, in uh, Greek. And so context uh, is uh, very important uh, for, uh, for these things. And uh, we'll be seeing more with this. And so, uh, the virgin shall conceive uh, and bear a son and shall call his name uh, Emmanuel. Uh, and so, uh, sign, sign to Ahaz, and it's a little uh, unclear who, who he's talking about here, but uh, we're going to see uh, there, there are reasons for this, and it's become very clear when we get into the next, uh, uh, next chapters. Uh, and she'll call his name uh, Emmanuel. And some have argued that uh, he's actually saying suddenly changes to uh, the, the, a young woman and says that you shall call his name uh, Emmanuel. Uh, and we can't really get into it too much, uh, but uh, I think more likely uh, it's, uh, most translations are right and she'll call his name Emmanuel uh, first because it has to do with the word form. Uh, some say it's, uh, it's direct second person referring to you. You shall call his name, uh, feminine, uh, uh, a lady, a woman. Uh, but the, the form uh, is also uh, found uh, as, uh, can be found in uh, the, the biggest like Hebrew grammars and uh, lexicons like Hallet, the Hebrew Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament. Uh, it is precedented uh, that this same form and spelling is also used uh, for the third person which we, uh, which we find here. Uh, and then there are a lot of uh, analogous forms uh, for other words uh, that uh, share the, uh, the, the same form. But then more importantly, contextually, uh, Isaiah is addressing uh, Ahaz. Uh, and he said, he's, he's addressing Ahaz here. And if he was to change the address, uh, you'd expect, uh, I'd say, uh, and to the young lady, he said, you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then on top of that, uh, this young lady, although they just started talking about her, uh, she, as a participant, hasn't been introduced into the scene uh, before this. And so it'd actually be very unusual that you'd suddenly have this, uh, this change while he's addressing uh, Ahaz. Uh, and then also just the, this repetition occurs a lot, uh, sort of parallelism building uh, in other things with like threes and fours, uh, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name uh, Emmanuel. And really it's, uh, uh, when you look at it, uh, the, uh, the Alma, uh, this, uh, this uh, young uh, marriageable lady or, or of a marriageable physically mature age, uh, she has conceived or she, she is pregnant and is bearing a son uh, and she'll call his name, she should call his name, uh, Emmanuel. Uh, and kind of grounding it like uh, it's complete complete now because the, the prophecy is so sure, it's common in prophecy. Kind of like if I say, uh, I'm going to the grocery store today. But I'm not like going out the door or in my car like right then and now. You know, I'm going to the grocery store uh, in an hour. But I'm not, I'm not on my way, you know, it's, but, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, going to happen. Uh, you, you can't say, I will go to the grocery store, but sometimes uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to the grocery store in an hour. Uh, same sort of idea. Uh, and so uh, we see this, uh, this virgin shall conceive and bear a son and she'll call his name Immanuel, uh, God with us, or with us, God, uh, in, in Hebrew. Uh, and then he says some uh, other interesting things about this, uh, this son. 
Uh, and son language is very important, uh, as we're going to see later. Uh, a son. Uh, he shall be a, as a son to me, and I shall be to him as a father. Uh, that's going to take on a significance. Uh, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Uh, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Uh, and so this can be a good thing, eating curds and honey. Uh, th this can be a good thing, uh, and God uh, may even use this language for the Israelites as they go into the land and some of the food that they're, they're going to have, land flowing with milk and honey and uh, all of these, uh, these things. And so uh, this can be a, a good thing, an uh, encouraging thing, a God's, a God's provision, but we're going to see it takes, takes a, bad, a bad turn. Uh, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. So when he has moral discernment, uh, something that, uh, that uh, children uh, grow, uh, grow into. Uh, four, uh, before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be uh, deserted. Uh, and so he's going to eat curds and honey. Wow, he has, so far this is sounding great. It's going to be deserted. Boy, he's going to eat curds and honey. Uh, it's going to be prosperous, good, uh, good times for us with these kings uh, dead and gone. And God's giving a sign uh, anyway. How, uh, how nice. Uh, and then he goes on, verse 17. Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. This too could be taken as good. I, I think the NET notes point out. Uh, Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And so this could be, is this before Ephraim departed from Judah? Is this the time of David and Solomon when the kingdom reigned and ruled uh, even uh, even having influence up to the Euphrates to the north and Egypt to the south and a uh, time of prosperity and curds and honey and gold and silver. But he says uh, at the end, Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. He swaps it. That's what God's going to bring these days the king of Assyria. Uh, time's coming when the king of Assyria is going to come uh, upon you. Upon them, yeah, their land is going to be abandoned, but uh, the king of Assyria is coming. Judgment's coming upon you and your people and your father's house. And so now he elaborates uh, four times, repeating, in that day, in that day, uh, showing what's going to happen. Verse 18, in that day, Yahweh will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and the bee that is in the land of Assyria. Uh, so it's like the, uh, the, 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 the flies coming, uh, the Egyptians, their armies, Assyria, uh, the, the bee in the land of Assyria to the north uh, are going to come and swarm and they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. The entire land is going to be covered in the Egyptian armies and the Assyrian armies uh, surrounding all uh, around them. Uh, in that day, the Lord 
uh, will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. Uh, so in that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river, the Euphrates. It's the river. Uh, it was so, uh, so significant. Uh, this razor, uh, the king of Assyria, who's going to come, uh, and he, uh, he's going to shave away, God, with this razor, the head uh, and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. Uh, and so uh, in his uh, cam campaigns in destruction, uh, it's like a razor sweeping away the, the hair of the, the head and the feet and the beard, uh, which was also something they do sometimes uh, shave away uh, beards and hair uh, to humiliate and disgrace uh, their, uh, their enemies. And there could be significance with, uh, uh, see, we'll see similar imagery with the head and the feet uh, he's going to attack the uh, uh, Aram, Syria, Israel, the northern kingdom, but also uh, he's going to talk about the water going up to the neck of Judah, maybe the beard. But uh, this is uh, clearly, uh, at the very least, uh, humiliation uh, and military uh, defeat and destruction uh, upon them. Uh, in that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of the milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. So now the imagery. Before the boy can discern be, between good and evil, he's going to eat curds and honey. The land's going to be abandoned. This is significant for Ahaz, this, uh, this sign, as we see in his, uh, his own day. A uh, man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of the milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. Uh, now here, ironically, curds and honey could be prosperity, uh, but here, uh, as, as uh, John Oswald and, and others say, here, part of it is that there are going to be so few people in the land that there's going to be abundance of milk and honey because they're going to be taken away in exile. Uh, they're going to be killed and executed and massacred. And so there will be so few people, there's going to be abundance of curds and honey. But then, in the next verse, we're going to see that with these military campaigns, it's going to so destroy the land that they won't be able to tend it, that they're not going to be consuming wheat and barley, uh, harvesting it, uh, probably other, other things that they harvested, uh, olives, figs, uh, all of these uh, these things are not going to be accessible to them, and uh, they're probably not going to be eating meat also under under siege. So they're just going to be curds and honey for just how few the people there are, the abundance, but also uh, the, the land will be devastated. Verse 23, the, the fourth and final here in that day. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, and so vines, uh, the, the grapes, the wine uh, that, that they uh, would, uh, would have worth a thousand shekels of, of silver. This prosperity uh, in their vineyards that they won't have uh, either. Every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns 
With bows and arrows a man will come there, for all the land will be briars in thorns. It's going to be devastated, the land, and overrun with briars and thorns. Uh, kind of like, uh, some of the language is different, but kind of like the garden uh, and with other military campaigns and God's judgment and curse, as the armies come and kill and take away the people captive, uh, and then uh, they hunger, and they can't even harvest their fields and lands, which are overrun, and then uh, with, uh, with briars, thorns, uh, wheat, thistles, weeds, uh, and then uh, finally uh, with the, the, the animals. Uh, verse 24, with bows and arrows a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, cultivated land, uh, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. And normally you don't let the cattle and the sheep uh, pasture and tread upon your vineyards and upon your wheat and barley fields, uh, but they go to the more desolate regions and uh, places with uh, wild grasses and things for them to eat. Uh, they don't trample your cultivated uh, land in terraces and, uh, and uh, orchards. Uh, and so, we come with bows and arrows. It's going to be a, a frightening uh, place, uh, maybe because of the wild animals around. Also, briars and thorns are later used even for, uh, for uh, people and for nations and uh, maybe for the, the armies too, but a place where, you know, it's a, it's a wild land with wild beasts, a place for, uh, for uh, pasturing and the trampling of cows and sheep. And so uh, this uh, sign uh, has become one uh, not just of salvation, but of judgment. He, he's going to destroy uh, Aram and stop them and Israel, the northern tribe, but judgment is going to come upon uh, Judah and the house of David and the people as well. And so now we transition to chapter 8, a new scene where Isaiah is not a addressing Ahaz anymore, uh, but God is addressing uh, Isaiah. And we're going to see this sign uh, begin to unfold in his, uh, in his own day. But it won't, it won't stop there. And so, uh, then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, uh, or I think it's even like with a stylus of man, uh, that, that you write with. Uh, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of uh, Jeberechiah to attest for me. And I went to the pro prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, uh, the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. And so it's going to come to pass. And so let's just work through this, this sign, his instructions for him. Uh, Yahweh said to me, and Yahweh, it's his covenantal name, which really means uh, uh, he is. Uh, he, he says uh, in, uh, to, to Moses at the burning bush, he says, Ehye, Asher Ehye, I am who I am. 
Uh, in some cases, it can be I will be who, who I will be, but uh, I am uh, who, who I am. Uh, the God who is present with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, is the God uh, who is present with Moses' mouth uh, to, to speak to the people and will be present with his people. Uh, he is the God who's present with his people. And so, Ehye Asher Ehye, I am who I am. And then he tells them to call him Yahweh. Uh, he is. Uh, he is the one who, uh, who is. Uh, and so uh, this is a, a name associated with his presence with his people. But sometimes we see not just for salvation, but judgment. And so Yahweh said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. This is what he's going to command him to name his son. The, this name hasn't been, uh, hasn't been uh, given uh, given yet, and Meher uh, Shalal Hashbaz uh, basically uh, means uh, some have a quick to the booty, swift to the plunder, uh, or uh, speed to the spoil, uh, uh, hasten to the prey. Uh, and some of these things prophetically are a little ambiguous, and it's kind of like when Jesus speaks in parables. For those who have ears to listen, who believe, it challenges them to listen and to believe God's word. But for those who are unbelieving, it uh, hardens them and brings judge, ultimately brings judgment uh, upon them. And so he's writing, uh, before, before this boy is even born, writing on this tablet for it to be seen. And then uh, I, I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah to attest for me. And so he gets witnesses to attest, uh, two or three witnesses, uh, that, that every word uh, would be confirmed. Uh, the word to, to Ahaz uh, is going to be confirmed. And so he has these witnesses. And the amazing thing is Uriah the priest was the, the high priest who later built the altar of the Aram after they were destroyed for Ahaz. What's going on there? I, uh, they compromise? Uh, but some say these may not be just pure allies of, of Isaiah or they're, they're all in his camp or anything, but they can attest. Uh, they, they, they witness this, that these aren't just, uh, just people who are making these, uh, these things up. Uh, they're, they're witnesses. Uh, in, uh, I recall, I think it was Gary Smith uh, said that Zechariah, the son of uh, Jeberechiah, uh, I think he's even the father-in-law of uh, Ahaz. Uh, they, they, were, uh, they were related to one another. And so here are witnesses who can testify uh, to what's written on this tablet uh, and to this, uh, this sign. And so uh, they write, write on this tablet and he gets the witnesses so they, they can say that this, uh, this happened uh, as, as proof and demonstration to the people. And I went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. So I went to the prophetess uh, and, and she conceived and bore a son. And you hear clear echoes back. Uh, uh, a young woman uh, shall conceive and bear a son. Now we have conceiving and bearing a son. Who's, who's the, the prophetess here? And uh, maybe that uh, either, uh, either prophetess is, uh, it's his wife, who's, who's a, a young woman of uh, fully, fully mature. Uh, and because we see he has a, a previous uh, son uh, as well. And she could be called the prophetess because he's the prophet. Uh, and it's not unprecedented, uh, as Gary Smith says, that, you know, uh, with kings, uh, they 
be queens, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're queens. Uh, sometimes uh, take, take a similar name. And some of this, it's purposely obscure, and we're going to see why. It's going to look to the future as well. As well. Uh, but, or it could be, uh, maybe he had a previous, uh, previous wife, and if she had died, he married the, the prophetess uh, uh, here as, as well. But she almost becomes, you know, the sign comes through her uh, that, that God brings, uh, brings forth and proclaims to the Ahaz and the people. And so I, I went to the prophetess, and she conceived uh, and bore a son. Uh, then the Lord said to me, call his name Immanuel. Wait, no, call his name Mahershalal Hashbaz. <laughs> you have parallels back again, but, you know, quick to the booty, swift to the plunder. What kind of name is that? You know, Eric said uh, it's kind of a kick me sign on the, on the back, and you feel a little bad for uh, prophets like Isaiah, and uh, Hosea didn't have it much, you know, much better. Call him not beloved, you know, call him not my people. You know, uh, oh boy. Um, and so uh, you, you have this uh, clear sign. So you have a woman, a woman here. She conceived and bore a son. Uh, and sh uh, she'll call his, call his name. God says, uh, call, call his name, uh, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. Uh, for before, uh, he's explaining, before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother. Before he knows how to discern between good and evil. So while he's young. Before he knows how to cry, my father or mother. You know, he's, he's, he's uh, young here. The wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. That's what God promised. He said this was going to come from the sign that he gave to Ahaz anyway. Uh, this is going to come to pass. God said uh, it will not happen. It will not come to pass uh, concerning their, uh, their plots. And so uh, the significance of his name, uh, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. And so that's, that's a good thing. Uh, however, uh, we're going to see that, again, it takes a turn for uh, the worse. Uh, Yahweh spoke to me again. And so we're going to see the judgment. Yahweh spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Sh uh, Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over resin, and the son of Ramaliah. So he's given a reason. Uh, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over resin and the son of Ramaliah. Uh, the, the waters at the conduit, the pool, where he met Ahaz, where he sent Isaiah in, in the presence of God uh, around Mount Zion in Jerusalem where God dwells, where the one who is dwells amidst his people. Ahaz rejected God. He rejected the God who is present. He rejected uh, the Lord. Uh, and waters, often uh, God gives for life, for blessing uh, for his people. Uh, in the garden, uh, in the kingdom to come, uh, uh, Ezekiel even uh, speaks of a day uh, when water will flow from the temple and that the, uh, the, the salt sea will even be rejuvenated. Uh, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and have peace, trusting God. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing upon, up against them, the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. Uh, in the Euphrates, uh, year after year, because its banks were lower than the Tigris, uh, it, would, it would overflow year after year. Predictably, it would overflow, but unpredictably, 
the, the, the floods could be uh, unpredictable, very hazardous. It's part of what silted the land and made it so fertile, but also uh, it, could, it could be destructive for, uh, for the, the people up there in the, uh, the fertile crescent uh, and in uh, Assyria. And so God's going to bring this river, uh, the king, just as he spoke about the, uh, the flies and the bees that are going to come and swarm the land. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. O Emmanuel, God with us. There's the name. And so, not just Mahershala Hashbaz, but we see the name is very significant. Chose, God is with them. He's present in their midst but not just for salvation, but for judgment because they have rejected him. And so it'll rise to the neck. And some of these events, uh, the Assyrian, Assyrians become more and more a uh, threat uh, over, uh, over time. Uh, and in around 734 BC, uh, they struck down the, the, the west coast, the coastal highway that went from uh, Mesopotamia to the north to Egypt to the south. Uh, and uh, they, they struck down, uh, taking over that highway, uh, even uh, conquering the Philistines uh, and subduing Egypt. Uh, in 733 BC, uh, he struck uh, Damascus and Aram uh, and killed uh, Rezin, uh, the, the king. As I recall, he was uh, killed uh, in that uh, battle. Uh, and it was, they were basically destroyed uh, as, as a people, uh, dominated. Uh, and then in the third year, 732 uh, BC, uh, he struck again from the north uh, all of the land uh, of Galilee to the north around the, uh, the, the sea. And it's shown both in the biblical record, but also Assyrian uh, records. Uh, all of the, the northern cities were the first to be destroyed. Uh, he deported uh, all of that region in Galilee uh, and uh, Naphtali. Uh, he also uh, deported to the east of the Jordan, uh, the, the tribes to the east, uh, Manasseh uh, and Reuben uh, in, in Gad uh, in those regions, uh, all to the north. And then only Israel was standing. And I think in that same time he deposed, uh, or the, the king Pekah was uh, deposed uh, both internally, uh, but then uh, Assyria uh, confirmed a new ruler over Samaria. And by 722, when he rebelled, then the Assyrians destroyed them utterly, just as he said. Uh, and so within a few years, these two kings, the threats were completely nullified. Uh, and then uh, by the time he was 12 or 13, and sometimes uh, uh, coming of age, uh, sometimes they, they use uh, that, uh, that age, uh, they were utterly destroyed. And in the following years, Assyria was still a threat and Judah was hemmed in. Uh, they were cut off from the international trade highways uh, and hemmed in as a people all the way to uh, the assault uh, throughout the land, uh, through Lachish and uh, many Western cities into the hill country until Sennacherib came to Jerusalem, uh, which you can read about in uh, Isaiah 36 and 30, uh, 37. Uh, and brought them uh, under assault, coming up to the neck. Uh, the very last hour, God 
save them uh, from utter destruction. Uh, and you have to realize that the Assyrians were among the, the cruelest people of ancient times. Uh, my uh, uh, history professor, uh, Clyde Billington, uh, one of my favorite professors at Northwestern, uh, he uh, spoke about how uh, he heard a, a conversation back and forth between uh, two uh, historian scholars, and one said that the Assyrians were the Nazis of ancient times, but the other corrected him and said, no, uh, the, uh, the Nazis were the Assyrians of our time. Uh, they were such a brutal people, and they're, they're also known for their, basically for blitzkrieg, lightning war, uh, these fast campaigns uh, that they would bring sieging and assaulting cities, and they would, uh, they, I think, were the first to come up with a crude form of crucifixion, where uh, they'd take these uh, big pikes and uh, thrust people through uh, on these pikes and under like their rib cages, uh, and they'd uh, put heads on pikes around to, to cause terror and fear for their, their enemies and uh, the mangled bodies and heads and uh, take people away. And some places even talks about putting hooks through lips and noses and leading them away, even like naked into captivity, uh, humiliated. And they even have these great bass reliefs, carvings into their like city walls. Uh, they're kind of like 2D murals, but they're, they're carved in so they have a little depth. Uh, and they depict basically two things, uh, Assyrian art of this time, as my professor said. There are two favorite pastimes, uh, killing animals and killing people. Those are, that's basically Assyrian art, which is to strike fear into the hearts of people. And so coming up to the neck, yeah, God's going to do what he said, uh, and he is going to save this uh, people, but only at the very, very uh, end. And so, uh, reaching even to the neck, uh, the Assyrians, uh, the Great River, and it, its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Oh, Emmanuel, oh God with us. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Uh, God's going to bring on the uh, nations all over. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Uh, that's uh, the, uh, the sign. Uh, all human counsel will come to nothing and be uh, destroyed, because God is with them uh, in salvation, but in judgment. And now he addresses uh, Isaiah. And we'll try and move uh, fairly quickly through the section because we've taken our time. Uh, but he's going to encourage him and his sons and uh, those disciples, remnant, to, uh, to trust God, to fear him, uh, and then to hold fast uh, to uh, his word. And so, for the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me, not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. So 
Oh, you warned them. Don't walk in the way of this godless, wicked people and nation. Not just Ahaz, it's the people who are aligning with them and with, uh, with their king. And do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. They're fearing men. They're fearing the plots uh, of, uh, of men against them rather than trusting in the word of God who says he'll deliver them. But Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of armies, uh, who is uh, in control over all these things, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Does that sound familiar? That comes from Second Peter chapter 3. But set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Consecrate him. Here in Hebrew, he's talking about Yahweh of hosts. He's talking about the, the one true God. Regard him as holy. Uh, the one uh, to whom the seraphim cried out uh, before Isaiah's commissioning. The one who sat on the throne uh, and ruled even when Uzziah died in the year. This, this great king, uh, as the, the people saw him, uh, God was on his throne ruling and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah realized, I can't stand in the presence of him. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But God atoned for him and him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. And sanctuary, it might actually have to do with another idea of like a trap or, or a snare. There's some uh, textual and contextual issues. But uh, regardless, here, if it's a sanctuary, those who trust in him, they take refuge in God. God's often spoken as, uh, from the beginning of scripture to the end, as a stone, as a rock, him, his word, those he establishes, what he establishes uh, is a rock and a stone uh, to find safety and refuge. If you trust in him, the rock, and in his word, but if you reject them, something to trip and fall over, to fall, to be snared, uh, to, to be captured and to be shattered and crushed uh, before it. And that's the same language that's then uh, applied to, to Christ. Uh, Paul uh, draws from some of that in uh, Romans chapter 9 uh, and, uh, and elsewhere. But if, if you understand, that's where we have to be careful. Sometimes when it talks about Jesus as a stone, uh, to really read these things in context, because we might be, it's just talking about Jesus. But once you realize, oh, this is imagery that's used for Yahweh, for his word, and for what he establishes, suddenly you realize, wow, uh, the authors had a high view of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Not just the northern tribes, but Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Just as God said, uh, say to this people, see, but do not understand. Hear, but do not perceive. Uh, the, the, the truth becomes, uh, those who do not believe are hardened until God brings them to judgment. And so, bind up the testimony 
seal the teaching among my disciples. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. What he wrote, the, the sign of the message, the oracles are given to Isaiah of the word of God, uh, bind them up uh, and seal the teaching among my disciples. Uh, sometimes it talks about the, the sons of the prophets and we see his sons with him, uh, probably his, his, uh, the, the prophetess, uh, whether he took her as a wife or uh, was his wife. Uh, but then that remnant that trusts in God and holds fast to his word and who fears him and regards him as holy, uh, as uh, the Lord of hosts. And so uh, Isaiah, Isaiah uh, says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from Yahweh of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion, the one who's, who's present. Uh, I and the children whom God has given me. Isaiah, Yahweh is salvation. Uh, Shear uh, Yashuv, uh, a remnant shall return. Maher Shalal Hashbaz, uh, quick to the booty, swift uh, to uh, the plunder. There are signs uh, and, uh, and portents in uh, the, the, the house, uh, the house of, of Israel. Uh, in Israel, from Yahweh of hosts, who dwells on Mount Zion. So there, there are signs in, in this, this time. It, had, it did have meaning for them. And then finally, holding fast to God's word. And when they say to you, it's probably God speaking uh, to Isaiah, to his disciples and people. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Uh, chirping can be used for like whispering. and They're, they're sort of muttering and incantations and uh, calling forth the dead and signs and things like that. Uh, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Or even be like in place of the living, but they're, they're, looking to, they're looking to mediums. They're looking to necromancers, people who call forth the dead uh, and, and, uh, and look from words from the pagan gods and altars and these sorts of things instead of believing God who gives these signs and works and wonders in their midst. And so should not a people, when they say these things to, to inquire of them, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Is this the people of God who does this thing? If they will not speak according to this word, the word that God gives, it is because they have no dawn, no light before them. God who, who gives light with his word, they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, which is forbidden by the word of God uh, in uh, Leviticus. And so in judgment, in their hunger and distress, uh, uh, when they are hungry, rejecting God's word, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward to heaven and they will look to the earth but behold distress in darkness, the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Judgment, no light because they rejected God, because they rejected his word uh, and uh, his, his prophet. Uh, he'd save them, he'd give them life and repentance but 
Uh, he is bringing judgment and hardening uh, this uh, this wicked people, taking off his his restraint for all of the, the evil and violence and wickedness they filled the land with. And so it's, it's bleak uh, and dark and foreboding uh, at the end, but is there any hope? Uh, keep reading, 9 verse 1. We're, we're going to get to another Emmanuel, God with us. But there will be no gloom for her who was in, in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, where the judgment, the armies, first came. That's why Jonah hated the, the Assyrians so much, too. It's because that's where the threats were. He lived near Nazareth, uh, Gath Hefer. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, uh, the coastal highway that the, the Assyrians came on. Uh, the land beyond uh, the Jordan, where they're taking captive, uh, taking captive Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Uh, you see this, this reversal. Now, the, uh, as with joy at the harvest, when they divide the spoil. Now, they're the ones uh, pictured dividing uh, the, the, the spoil in instead of being plundered them, uh, themselves by, uh, by the nations. Now, they're filled with, with joy by, by God. Why? For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian, the day of Gideon when God delivered them from uh, the Midianites at the, the hill of Horah with 300 men and utterly uh, delivered and destroyed uh, the Midianite armies and sent them fleeing away. Uh, and so, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian, all of his enemies, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned. Uh, all of the implements of warfare uh, in blood and in garments of warfare will be burned up. Uh, there, there will be no more war and violence upon them. Uh, garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Why? Now we get to the big reason. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of Yah Yahweh of hosts will do this. And so now I know we've gone over time, but just last, last comments. You know, uh, here now we see, for to us a child is born. Now looking to the future, uh, which Isaiah does again and again, contrasting the past, then the judgment that came upon them with Isaiah's son and Isaiah and, and his sons as signs and portents. But in the future, uh, there is going to be another uh, child. A child is born. 
virgin shall conceive and bear a son. To us, a son is given. Sonship language, a sonship. Uh, he shall be to me as a son, and I shall be to him as a father. Uh, David's offspring, uh, Solomon, uh, was a son to God. Uh, he had the inheritance over the nation. God gave him honor, dignity, authority to rule over his people on his behalf as a son would on behalf of a father. Uh, and his descendants, Hezekiah was a son. Uh, David's called a son. The nation's called God's firstborn. But here we see that there's a greater son where, where uh, David was a man after God's own heart, but sinned terribly after God's promises and brought great hardship and harm uh, on, on the nation. And where Solomon was the beloved of the Lord, he shall be to me as a son, I shall be to him as a father. Uh, he was the wisest man in all the earth. He rebelled against God, and God, as he said, I will not utterly blot him out as I, I did for Saul on, in your, your house, but he brought temporal judgment upon him. Uh, for it, to chastise him and to, to judge him. And if the wisest man in all the earth cannot bring the fullness of God's promises uh, in kingdom, how much so for the rest of them? Not even Moses, who knew God face to face, could enter into the land. Aaron the priest couldn't enter into the land. The first generation couldn't enter. God appointed Joshua to bring their children into the land. Uh, and so now we see for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Well, this one's in the Davidic line. The government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called a Wonderful Counselor, uh, maybe more uh, in the ENT, uh, some associate with, with uh, miracles, but it has to do with wonder. Uh, wonder of a counselor. One who gives counsel, where they, they sought the mediums uh, and such. You'll see this one, he really needs no counsel. You know, he's... Uh, he's, he is God, and he's, he's taught by God, and he's, uh, he's the one where, keep reading, he has the, seven, the fullness of God's spirit, the sevenfold spirit of God. He's, he's God with us, truly. And so, wonder of a counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The one uh, uh, who's uh, wonder in counsel and uh, who's God Almighty, mighty and powerful and strong, everlasting father over his people, one who lives and reigns forever, and the very prince of peace. You know, exactly what they did not have from the house of David and Ahaz in their day. And although Hezekiah was a believer, he falls far short too. Uh, as, as, uh, if you keep, keep reading as we spoke about and so, uh, as this one wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, uh, will uh, accomplish this. And so, because this one is the God-man who lives and reigns forever. As God said, your throne, your kingdom, your house will be forever. It's finally established for all time, forevermore, because he lives to reign forever in righteousness. And uh, if we have more time, uh, I recommend 
Well, just reading through the section, you see more judgment coming uh, on uh, the northern tribe, on Israel, uh, and then on also Judah and the Assyrians coming. And God brings judgment on the Assyrians as he lops down the trees, uh, as he burns them with fire and the people and the nation. Uh, as he says, a holy seed shall rise. You see that there's a remnant and you see from the stump of Jesse, it looks dead, it looks destroyed. Is there any hope uh, anymore? Can, can, it, can, can the Davidic dynasty live? Out of this one, a root shall arise from the stump of Jesse, uh, or a shoot uh, from, from the ground, uh, and a, a branch uh, who will bear uh, fruit. And, and looks to the future when there will be no more warfare, and there will not even be animal predation uh, anymore. No violence, uh, no, uh, no bloodshed uh, anymore. And, and he goes through chapter 11 into 12, uh, and gives glory to, to Yahweh who reigns over all uh, the earth. And, uh, and just uh, lastly in Isaiah, uh, three times uh, it says that Yahweh is high and lifted up. In Isaiah 53, it says, uh, Yahweh says, my servant shall be, well, raised and lifted up, raised, lifted up, and highly, greatly exalted. Threefold exaltation of his suffering servant who redeems, uh, and sinless servant who redeems uh, the people. And so uh, I hope it is helpful and, and challenging in showing why we really need to, even if it challenges our tradition, Matthew knew what was written here. He assumes that his, his audience in his day did uh, as, uh, as well. And so we maybe partially understand from Matthew, but uh, the, the, the fullness, uh, we, we need the, the background to study in context, and we wor work through Genesis. So uh, sometimes uh, when we uh, deal with certain passages, I might be, uh, they challenge me, I might be putting a kick me sign on my back. <laughs> be patient, be patient, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see that it's more magnificent uh, than uh, sometimes we even uh, realize. So let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for for your holy word and thank you for your prophet Isaiah and, and for, for your son, uh, the one who lives and reigns forever, uh, the one who redeems us uh, from all of our sins and all of our uh, unrighteousness and clothes us with his very righteousness. And uh, we thank you that you would give uh, such unworthy sinners uh, such a great king and such uh, hope and promises uh, of peace and joy uh, and your everlasting blessing in your son. And I pray our hope and confidence would uh, be in him and that uh, you would uh, bless everyone here and uh, bless all of us and all of our fellow fellow believers and uh, our, uh, our body, the, the body of Christ, and that uh, you'd build us up uh, to, uh, to even proclaim, uh, proclaim your word as your disciples. And so uh, we thank you for all these things and give you all the glory and things. Amen.